So um, I get to start the series that Nicholas introduced last week. Um, we're going to be speaking, um, a number of us speaking on the Psalms, really until the students come back in August and we all go back to school and everything. So um, I guess our late summer series. Um, and um, so I'm going to, we, we, we've kind of wrestled a bit with how to divide up, how to teach on the Psalms, um, because there's some very specific uh, ways that academics do it and different churches have done it. And we really just prayed into it and um, got some very specific themes that we wanted to bring out of the Psalms. Um, and what Nick spoke about last week was really that the Psalms overall are um, a help to us in order to um, bring our humanity to God and how God interacts with us in our humanity. Um, and that, so that's like the overarching theme. Um, but just to kind of get it out of the way, um, I wanted to do just a brief introduction to like why do we have the Psalms? What, was, what is the purpose of the Psalms? What was the purpose of the Psalms? And um, we all kind of have in our minds and know that David um, was the great psalmist, the great worship leader. Um, and when you're kind of younger, I think you think, oh, well, David wrote the Psalms. <laughs> but he didn't write all of them. And actually, he was more kind of the, he was more like what Tyler is to us. He was, the, he was the head of worship um, at, for the Israelites at the time. And so he wrote a lot of psalms himself, um, but also he led a great team of music leaders, of um, choir leaders. And, um, and so he had this amazing kind of worship group that um, worked together and not only during his lifetime, but there, were, there was a kind of legacy that he left. So there are some Psalms that were written um, at different times. And later on, they were all put together in this great book of the Psalms. And the reason that they were written, they weren't just some, they weren't just kind of, you get this idea that, well, the Psalms are these kind of personal prayers that David um, lifted up to God and then maybe someone overheard him and wrote them down. <laughs> but it wasn't like that at all. Um, I mean, so, some of them he, were very personal and he wrote them and then kind of handed them on to his choir leader and said, right, you know, set this to music or um, get the choir to sing it. But um, they were, um, in their kind of maturity, they were actually a set of prayers that the community of the Israelites used in the cycle of their year. Um, and that year would have included um, not just personal prayer times or kind of weekly, you know, small groups or whatever, but also great celebrations or great um, gatherings. For example, when the king kind of came up and with all of his entourage, and you can imagine these great choirs singing. And so the, there's psalms that are called the king psalms, and they talk, there's actually specific references to the king and how God relates to the king and talks about the, this amazing history that Israel has. And so they're very kind of, there's a lot of pomp and ceremony in those psalms. Um, there's other psalms that are, were written 
um, to sing together when the Israelites were going up on pilgrimage. So they're called the going up psalms. They were all going up to, to the temple. And so you can imagine these kind of great groups of people walking out on these dusty roads and singing these songs together. And they're songs about going up to the temple to worship. Um, then there's songs of praise and there's songs of lament. And some of the songs of lament are really communal and is, they talk about the disaster that has come on the people. And so you can imagine them gathering after great disasters, just like we might today if there was a disaster, to gather to pray. And David and his team put together this amazing um, body of work that then became part of the kind of DNA of who the Israelites were, and they passed it on to us as the church. And these psalms have been sung by the church since um, the days of just the, of Judaism. The early, the early church used the psalms to worship together, and they used them for the same reasons that the Israelites used them. And so even now, you, if you go to a, um, a, a, monas- a Roman Catholic monastery, the psalms are prayed on a cycle through the year, and they're exactly the same words and often the same music that the, the ancient church was using. And they, they inherited that music, that chant, from the cantors in the, um, the Jewish tradition. So it's an incredible heritage, and I think it was important just to mention that first, because sometimes we read the Psalms and we're like, we're trying to see like, well, what does this mean to me now? I'm trying to pray this Psalm, and it's very much about like, kill my enemies and you know, all that kind of stuff, get me out of the pit, and, um, and we try and connect personally, but it's good to have a perspective that they had a greater purpose um, and often the language that was used was because of that. It, so it's not so um, kind of strange to us. It's in a, in a slightly different context. Um, so when we prayed about what to speak on the Psalms, um, we thought, well, shall we teach on these kind of academic ideas? And, and obviously the Lord wanted us to kind of go deeper and just talk about how can we engage with the Psalms in the way that really helps us in daily life and helps us in our relationship with Him? Um, and particularly um, how He understands our humanity and how He wants us to bring our humanity to Him. Um, all the bits and pieces of our lives that sometimes don't feel very spiritual or very um, kind of okay, <laughs> the kind of stuff that we might not be proud of in front of a bunch of people. You know, those times when you're like, you just wanna give up, um, or you're just hopeless. Um, The times when you have been, like, you just haven't been a great person, perhaps, to people, or, um, you know, you're wrestling with with the flesh and your humanness, um, that we sometimes feel like, we put this on ourselves, that we don't want want God to see that. See, I knew it would fall off. My ears aren't big enough, guys. What I need is a mask to like pull it out so that I... <laughs> no, 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 I don't want one. <laughs> Nick always laughs at me because the mask makes me, gives me ears like this. And then I walk around and he's like, oh, you're so funny. And I'm like, great, thanks so much, babe. I feel very confident right now. <laughs> I know. Isn't a husband great who will laugh at his wife and point? <laughs> um, 
Yes, our humanity. <laughs> so um, the themes that we're going to cover, um, I'm going to start tonight with just a few psalms. There's just three of them, because when we were looking through the psalms um, and the, just the different ways that they are divided up, um, the lament psalms have a bunch of psalms kind of crammed into them, and mainly because a lot of the lament psalms have a specific structure. But these three particular um, psalms that I've chosen, they have aspects of lament to them, but they're actually just a very small part. The main part of them is intimacy, this intimacy with God. And so I'm gonna talk about intimacy tonight and one more other time, because Nick said there's no ways that I can talk um, about one subject for only half an hour. <laughs> which I'm fine, I, I, sub, I submit to him on that, totally. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna read the three Psalms. They're not too long, but I think it's important to read them through first, and then I will just bring some bits and pieces out of them. So the first one is Psalm 139, and I'm not doing them in chronological order because there's a specific order you'll see later on that I wanna talk about. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The next one is Psalm 23. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And finally, Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. So um, those three psalms really came to me and I was praying into what was, the, what was the one thing really that God wanted to say tonight. And um, I asked, this is what I sometimes do if I'm not getting clarity, I asked a friend to pray and um, didn't tell her what I was preaching on but she said, will you pray and tell me what the one thing is God is wanting to tell people tonight. <laughs> And she sent me a detailed um, vision, which was really amazing. Um, and it, it just, you know how you read something and then it just jumps out at you. And um, her vision was really of the church, which is all of us, um, kind of lying in wait, preparing for battle. And the, this kind of sense of the nations raging in vain out there, but the church kind of being in hiding. And, you know, what is the church doing? And um, I love that it was a military example, and I said to Luke Smith that I was going <laughs> to mention him in the talk tonight, um, because I have never been in the military, so I didn't want to use an analogy that I hadn't experienced because there are military men here and they'll probably be like, what is she talking about? It's not like that at all. <laughs> so I decided instead to use my paintballing analogy because I've actually done that. <laughs> and I mean, it's kind of the same thing, right? I checked with Luke and he was like, oh yeah, it's totally the same thing. <laughs> so, um, 
So when you're paintballing, this was my experience when you're lying in wait, right? And there's all these enemies out there, and you kind of can't really see them. You have your paintball gun, and you're in your armor and everything, and you have a limited number of paintballs, and you have to strategize how you're going to get everyone before you get hit. And I remember lying, and my adrenaline was through the roof, like heart thumping, but it was like an exciting, like I, didn't, I knew I wasn't going to get killed, so it's probably a different type of adrenaline, right? <laughs> it was kind of like a fun adrenaline. Um, there are times, I'm sure, when it's not like that, but that fear was there. For me, it was a fun fear. And um, that sense of, like, having to make quick decisions and, and strategy, but doing this in an, in an intense atmosphere of action. And I loved this picture that, I was, that was shared with me because when I read through these psalms again, I realized that this is about to fall off again, guys. I don't know what's wrong with my ear tonight. There we go. Um, the, what God was trying to say was, when you read these psalms, there's this tiny little bit at the end of each one, which is about the enemies. And you kind of like, you suddenly thrown off. You're like, oh, that was so beautiful. And then we get to this last verse, and it's all about like bloodshed, and you know, couldn't we just keep it really nice? <laughs> but, but suddenly God like opened my eyes to this idea that, um, and, and I think David was trying to teach us that the sense of before you ever engage with the enemy, before you even, ever even step out of that hiding place, there is a huge amount that needs to go on beforehand. And David is saying the place that you prepare to engage is the place of intimacy with God. And so... Um, I want to go through each psalm, just pick out a few points of how God is teaching us how to do this, because really when we go out every day, we are engaging with what's out there. And we are often thrown into situations really which, where we are you know, full of adrenaline or anxiety. Um, we're in a, in a strange world where we're not sure who's really on our side. Um, we're not sure whether the support will be there or whether it will fail. We're not sure whether the gifts and the natural talents that we have are going to be enough. And so I want to challenge us tonight, um, every day before we engage, and perhaps for extended times where we feel we need to actually prepare and strategize, how do we do that with the Lord? How do we do that effectively? Because he's calling us to strategy and he's calling us to, in a sense, put on those, um, that spiritual armor, those weapons that he has for us. You know, God isn't surprised by anything that happens to us. He knows what we're going to go out and experience. And he also has a particular purpose, a unique purpose, um, journey that each of us, he wants us to walk, and he wants us to have influence and impact in our life. And so this isn't something where, well, we're just going to spend some time with the Lord so that we can get some peace. 
you know what I mean? It's way more than that. It's not a passive thing. It's, we are being equipped by the Lord every time we do this for the particular things that are going to happen. So Psalm 39, I started with that one because I think it's a great place to begin because it goes back to the beginning. It talks about how God knew us from the moment that he thought about us. Our days were written in his book before they became, came to pass. So there's this real sense in the psalm of our identity and who we belong to, our purpose. That's where we need to begin. The sense of being completely known by God is a place of safety because, like I said, nothing surprises him. Nothing surprises him about what's out there, but also about how you react, how you cope, what gifts and talents you have to bring. Nothing surprises him. In fact, the good works that he has for us, he has planned them for us long ago. We are his masterpiece. And so there is nothing that separates us from God knowing us. Um, the psalm talks about time. It talks about space, heaven and the depths. It talks about physical matter. And also talks about spiritual things. It talks about hell, the darkness. Nothing we have done can separate from us from God, knowing us fully. And you know, we sometimes have some things we wish we could just put to one side and say, hey God, could you forget that? Well, when we bring something into the light with him, then he promises us that he will throw it into the depths of the sea. But that doesn't happen until you've done it, you've opened it up into the light with him. And we can do that knowing that he knows about it already. There's a safety in that. It's not a surprise for him. And after all that Psalm 139 talks about, how his complete knowledge of us cannot, there's nothing that can divide us from that. Then it talks about our desire for his thoughts. And the scripture where, it's, where it says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. The translation there implies how precious towards me are your thoughts, or how precious are your thoughts towards me. How great the number of them. The Lord thinks so many thoughts about you that they cannot be counted. So when you are out of understanding, even about yourself, you know, when you're working on self-awareness and you're trying to figure out, why do I always do that? <laughs> God has a thousand thoughts about that. And the, David here jumps suddenly into this, oh God, if you would only slay the wicked. And it's a bit of a... I kind of jolt out of this beautiful intimacy. 
and then straight away goes back into search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. So there's here this glimpse of waiting and being known by God and then being jolted out of it by this fear of like, oh my gosh, there's so much out there that could get me. There's so much threat in my life. And you know, it doesn't have to be, it's not necessarily enemies like real um, people with spears. <laughs> um, you know, Paul says that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but, our, but with the powers of the air, the spiritual powers. And so there's a sense of God calling us out, and it's, he's calling us out into a world where the darkness reigns. And we can have anxiety about that. It doesn't, uh, the world out there doesn't feel safe. And each of us has our own reasons why. Feeling unsafe can be so different for each person. It can be a, a, an unsafety from physical threat, political threat. It can be feeling unsafe from physical violence. It can be a woman going out and feeling unsafe from, her, from being protected as a woman. It can be going out and feeling unsafe because you don't know that you have what it takes to make it. Your mental health might be cracking and you don't know if you'll get through the day. You don't know if you're gonna have enough money to feed your family, or what about that bill that I need to pay? There's so much that can fill us with fear, and the feeling of fear is not something that you weigh out, well, your fear isn't as big as mine, sorry. It, every person feels fear the same way. And God knows that. And so when David says, he comes out with this, oh God, slay my enemies, rescue me. And then he says, oh, search me, oh Lord, know my anxious thoughts. He comes right back to God and says, you know, you know my fear. Test me. Because he's, want, he's wanting now, he's saying, Lord, I can go out, I can go out there and face this, but I need to know how, I need your wisdom. Test my thoughts. Tell me if they're not your thoughts. Tell me if they're reaction out of my weakness. Tell me if they're reaction out of my fear. And if they are, tell me what to think instead. And so there's a sense of coming into the Lord's presence and first sitting with him and knowing who we are in him and then turning and saying, okay, Lord, I want to, I want to know your wisdom. What's next? And so the second psalm that I read, Psalm 23, I think is beautiful because the Lord is promising us through this that what you need when you go out, I will provide for you. I know what you need in every situation you're going to be in, and I will provide it for you. And the psalm begins, which I love, with the sense of God providing first. He puts you in green pastures, and he gives you what you need, your, your sustenance. And then 
once he's refreshed you, he says, right, it's time to go out. And it says in verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we know that when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, the comforter, this is the same meaning of that word comfort. It's a sense of guiding. The rod and the staff of the shepherd, we have sheep and they're the stupidest creatures in the entire world. (laughs) You have to walk with a stick on either side going like this. (laughs) And they're so scared of the sticks that they're like, I'll just go straight. So I'm sure God sees us as much more intelligent than sheep, (laughs) but he's giving us a picture of this nudging. Like, don't worry about where you go. Here is a nudge, here is a nudge. Listen to my spirit, my rod and my staff are comforting you. That word comfort means helping and guiding, coming alongside. And so we're not sent out on our own. We don't have to kind of get everything we need and then go out on our own. He sends us out with the Spirit. And he promises not just to sustain us and give us our rest and our um, infilling and then send us out to nothing, but there's this beautiful picture of him preparing a table for us before our enemies. And can you imagine if there was this battle and then the enemy arrived and there was this guy like having a meal? Like, sorry, dude, um, my God's made me a table of here. So could you just wait? I'm going to (laughs) eat. And God anointing and the cup overflowing all over the table. I just think that's, I think David was being funny. I don't know why, because I don't think this would have ever really happened. He's, he's creating this picture of, you have this idea of this threat coming towards you, and you think, oh, well, God will give me like the weapons that I need, but God's like, no, 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 I'm not just going to give you weapons, I'm going to like have a dinner party, and I'm going to give you abundance, and we're going to celebrate in this time of threat and danger. And Nick and I were talking about the battles. Um, God doesn't say, oh, well, we'll just cancel the battle. He requires you to show up to the battles. But a lot of the battles that we read of in the New Testament were kind of like they really turned out differently to how you would expect. So God called them to do strange things like, did you say light lamps underneath? Oh, light lamps underneath pots and then suddenly take off the pot and everyone's scared of the lamp. Or... um, Play music around a castle and walk round and round seven times and then it'll all fall down. (laughs) Why did God do that? It's kind of funny. He could have just said, well, don't worry, you don't have to show up. I'll just cancel it. You know, I'll make sure that the enemy just all dies and doesn't turn up or something. But he expects us to turn up and see what crazy stuff he's going to do. And that takes courage and it takes trust. And he's promising us here that he won't just provide the bare minimum. He, he's not just going to give us like, like the basic entry-level spear and, you know, and expect that to work. He's going to make a dinner party, which doesn't make any sense at all. But it's this, he's going to over-provide. He's going to celebrate 
in our battle. <laughs> and it says that it's not just going to be all the days of my life, but actually this will continue forever. So we don't even have to worry about it. Well, is this going to be a once-off? He says, this is life with me. Expect this to be life with me. And I think we have to keep reminding ourselves of that because it doesn't make sense. Then the final Psalm, 63. This is about when we are really out there, when we have stepped out, we've got up, and we're facing the enemy. We have moved out of that place of safety and quiet with the Lord. And this cry that comes out of the dry and parched land where there is no water. I don't know if you felt that sometimes just in life, that you are in a place and you just, you're like, I cannot feel God here. Like, I feel so isolated from Him right now. And it can be for so many different reasons, but that place where you feel parched, <laughs> like, God, where are you? And this is where the Lord teaches us how to deal with those experiences. He's saying that you can plan and prepare for that. There will be times when you don't feel me. There will be times when you actually feel like you're going to die of thirst because there's no water. And David, David wrote this in the desert of Judah, so he's obviously experiencing this particularly. Um, he explains to us how you can be sustained in those times when you don't feel God's sustenance. He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary, beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And God is teaching us, it's our experience with Him in the sanctuary, in that, in that private secret place you have with God when you are worshiping Him and being with Him. That is when He sustains us for the times when we're out there and we can't find him, when we can't see him, we, can't, we don't know what he's doing. Why is he telling us this? It's because he, he doesn't want you to be caught in that and not be prepared. We listened to a short story about Andre Agassi this week on a book that I've been reading. Um, he's a great tennis player, if any of you haven't followed tennis. <laughs> um, and it talks about, it's a really sad story actually, because his father, when he, his father was a boxing champion and very driven man, and he decided he wanted his son to be a pro tennis player. And he actually, at age three, he duct taped tennis rackets to his son's arms because he was too young to hold it up. 
So he just duct taped it to his arm and put on a machine, tennis ball machine, and he made him hit 2,500 tennis balls every day. And apparently, I guess he hated it, but his father forced him to do it. He's like, you're going to do this. This is what you're going to do. And of, of course, that caused huge rebellion and brokenness later on in his life. But he became a really good tennis player. Um, but what I, the point of the story was that at age 15, when he was beating adult players and rising and rising, people kept saying, wow, he's such a natural. And he says in his biography, if only they knew that I wasn't a natural at all. My father had made me hit that many balls that I became really good. It wasn't out of passion. I hated it. But he made me, and I did it, and I became really good. And that's a sad story, although he turned his life around, and he, and he became you know, really passionate about the game. And, and the story was in the book that I'm reading, and also talks about many successful people. We see them, and we think, wow, like they are such naturals. They have so much talent, you know? If only I could have had that much talent, or if only I could have like, been born into that situation, or had those circumstances happen to me. But actually, successful people, if the common factor, the guy who was writing the book said the common factor of all the biographies he'd read of these successful people was that success is the small tip of an iceberg. And you see them winning their first championship. You don't see the years and years and years of failure and failure and failure and failure over and over, the boring stuff, you know? And it's the same. God is saying, this principle works with me. You can't go out into the world and go into places where that are so spiritually dry that you're like, Lord, I can't even hear your voice. And then expect me to come through when you haven't spent time with me, listening, learning my voice. How does he hear? How does he speak? How does he react to our prayers? Learning his character. All of those things, it's a relationship that builds and builds in the, in the secret place. And you see people who go out, people like Heidi Baker, who have... You know, there are miracles that happen when they minister. But Heidi speaks of hours on her face before the Lord. Hours of intercession. The victory is won in the secret place, not in the out there on the stage. The victory's already been won and you go out and you just say, Lord, do it. Lord, do what you said you were going to do to me in those hours when I prayed. It says, I think of you through the watches of the night. The watches of the night, that's the time when the world is asleep. Everyone's asleep. It's just you and the Lord. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you being under his wings, you're hidden by him.
And then he says, those who want to kill me will be destroyed. That doesn't just happen. That comes after this passionate cry that he has brought to the Lord in the secret place. The praise and the worship that he has brought to God just because he's in his presence. We all know that the world needs supernatural solutions. We cannot solve the world's problems with our natural giftings. It's just not enough. We can see that, history proves it. Because the same things happen over and over. And if we want to truly go out and have solutions that will work, we have to learn how to do this. We have to learn how to sustain ourselves, how to hear the Lord's voice. how to let him build us up and, and give us strategy. He wants to strip away the things that will prevent us from going out and using his weapons and not the weapons of flesh and blood, which, which never really work. He is training us to go out into the darkness and make it as light. But he invites us first to lie in the hiding place. Lie quietly. He wants to show us what weapons to use. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to give us plans. And he invites us over and over to come back. And so I wanted to encourage you as you go on this week, and especially with the world kind of raging around us, don't wake up and be filled with that first. You know, you, when you go into battle, you don't wake up and then pick up your gun and run out, unless you're like someone in your house. <laughs> but if you are working in a planned and strategic way, you wake up and you prepare. And he wants to give us the wisdom every single day to bring supernatural solutions. You know, we might not have the influence to bring big solutions right now, but with every single one of us, he has a plan for us to plant seeds of his kingdom, seeds of peace and reconciliation. He wants to give us words that can bring hope to people. He wants to give us practical ways that we can help. And he won't do that if you just get up and rush out. He wants to build that rapport with you. He's your commander-in-chief. So learn to hear his voice so that you can hear his orders when you're out there and it's noisy and it's hard. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your heart is to teach us, that you've 
longed to partner with us. You don't just send us out into the world and kind of hope for the best. We thank you, Lord, that you are the source of all solutions and that you long to bring solutions through us. We thank you, Lord, that your strategy is intimacy. Your strategy is relationship. So Lord, help us to learn from David what it looks like to spend that time in the secret place, to put in those hours, learning your voice, praising you. hearing from you about our identity and our purpose, being filled with your spirit. I pray you speak to each one of our hearts just one way that we can do that this coming week, maybe one new little habit that we get into each day. Listen to the Lord's prompting. He wants to teach you. Just one little thing differently each day. Thank you, Lord Jesus.